Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. I'm glad to have you with me today. I hope weather is nice where you are. The phone number, should you wish to be a part of the program, 877-973-7425. Well, we, we got history in the making, I suppose. Judge Ketanji Brown Jackson's hearings have begun for the U.S. Supreme Court. Uh, there's there's a lot to say here. First of which is I would love for a little bit of intellectual honesty. And I know we're not going to get, I know it's too much to ask. But just hear me out here. During the Brett Kavanaugh hearing in 2018, there were 63 interruptions on the first morning of his hearing by Democrats, 63 interruptions. Now, this is before all of the allegations surfaced about Christine Blasey Ford. This is just standard confirmation hearing, and the Democrats ruthlessly, continuously objected Uh, put forward questions, harassed, and tried to throw the Republicans off their game. The Republicans will not do the same for Ketanji Brown-Jackson, nor would they be allowed to. The media is already after Josh Hawley for raising questions about her record. There will be no continuous parade of screaming protesters. You know, over 200 were arrested in 2018 during the uh, Kavanaugh hearings. We're not going to see that here. Isn't it remarkable how Democratic candidates for the Supreme Court get smooth sailing? The media and the Democrats together circle the wagons around the nominee and protect the nominee. Now, what do we have here? Uh, Ketanji Brown-Jackson was a federal district court judge for a time. She had been a uh, public defender in the District of Columbia. She's a Harvard grad, so as much as she may be diverse, uh, skin color, uh, gender, she is not very diverse when it comes to her progressive Harvard views. Intellectual diversity isn't in the playing cards here. So she is a, a highly respected, highly competent lawyer and judge. She was a federal district judge. She became an appellate judge of the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals. Now, that matters in particular. Uh, Joe Biden put her there last year. She does not have a big record, but the district court or the the District of Columbia Court of Appeals matters for a great reason. Uh, the D.C. Circuit, if you sue the federal government, if you file a lawsuit against the federal government, when your case is appealed, it goes to the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals. It is essentially the mini Supreme Court because it deals with all the cases involving the federal government. You don't believe me? Let me give you the names of some of the people who were judges of the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals. Clarence Thomas, Antonin Scalia, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Brett Kavanaugh, John Roberts, Merrick Garland, Katanji Brown-Jackson. It is the stepping stone these days to the U.S. Supreme Court. When Joe Biden said only a black woman would be considered, it put Katanji Brown-Jackson right up there at the top. Uh, the day the Breyer announcement came out, I told you guys that it would be Katanji Brown-Jackson for that very reason. There were alternate names put forward. They went through the dog and pony show of interviewing other people, but it was always going to be her. 
she was a public defender before she became a judge. She went into private practice. One of the, the groups of people she defended were the uh, terrorists at Guantanamo Bay. Now, she did appellate work for some of them. She wasn't the initial public defender. Uh, now, I'm not going to attack her for being a public defender of terrorists. I was a lawyer. I had to represent people. Uh, I did indigent criminal defense. I was required to in the county in which I lived. If I wanted to practice law, I had to do it. I was assigned clients. I couldn't get out of those clients. She was a public defender. As a public defender, you are given clients, and you can't reject those clients. She was given terrorists at Guantanamo Bay. She should not be attacked for representing terrorists at Guantanamo Bay. As a public defense attorney, it is her job. It was like, for example, um, Congressman then-Congressman Doug Collins. Congressman Doug Collins was running uh, against Kelly Loeffler for the U.S. Senate. Arguably, that division and that strife helped get Raphael Warnock elected. But one of the, the, the times I had to call foul on, on the Loeffler team was they were attacking Doug Collins, the congressman, for clients he had represented, but he was a public defender. And I don't believe anyone who defends indigent criminal defendants should be attacked for having done so. Uh, They step up to do what the law requires when no one else will do it. The problem with Kenji Brown-Jackson is not that she was a public defender who represented terrorists. It's that she chose to leave the public defender's office and go work for a private law firm that volunteered to represent the terrorists. Why did she do that? And then, for a time, she was on the U.S. Commission uh, Sentencing uh, Commission. Now, for those of you who don't understand, the United States has a sentencing commission. It helps draw up the uniform rules for sentencing prisoners to prison for the federal government, so that there's some there's less uh, deviation. Judges are allowed less deviation. Uh, they essentially come up with formulas that if you got this and you got this and you got this, well, then you got to serve this amount of time. One of the things that Josh Hawley has raised about Katanji Brown-Jackson, and this is the controversial one, and my gosh, are they all upset about it. The, the media, CNN is out there savaging Josh Hawley. Dick Durbin's on television all upset about Josh Hawley doing this. Uh, but Katanji Brown-Jackson objectively has a history of giving collectors of child porn uh, less harsh prison sentences than prosecutors have requested. Josh Hawley names seven uh, instances, particularly where Katanji Brown-Jackson gave sentences less than what the prosecutors want uh, and less than what the formula suggested. Now, of course, he's pointed this out, and now he's persona non grata. He already is. Here's Dick Durbin over the weekend. Dick Durbin is the chair now of the Judiciary Committee overseeing these today. And now uh, Senator Hawley is making these charges that came out of nowhere. The independent fact-checkers like the Washington Post and CNN have discredited his claims already. They should have. There's no truth to what he says. And he's part of a fringe uh, within the Republican Party. This was the man who was fist-bumping the murderous mob that descended on the Capitol on January 6th of last year. Uh, He doesn't have the credibility he thinks he does. 
you know, the murderous mob that descended on Washington, D.C., you could tell he, he, he practiced his answer to get that alliteration out there on Josh Hawley uh, to try to discredit Josh Hawley's attacks. Yes, the fact checkers have circled the wagons on Katanji Brown Jackson, as they always do. There's a problem here. There's a problem. It is objectively true that in at least seven cases, Judge Katanji Brown Jackson sentenced child porn collectors to less than what the sentencing guidelines suggested or what the prosecutor wanted. Why she did it should raise some eyebrows. She sentenced the collectors of child pornography to light sentences because she determined that though they collected child pornography, they really weren't predators or pedophiles. They just like child pornography. That's all. This is who Joe Biden wants on the Supreme Court. She decided that she uh, she would go against prosecutors in seven cases, and she would give lighter sentences to people who collected child porn because they didn't seem to be predators. And, you know, there are people out there on the left and the right defending her on this. say, well, you know, the, the law says you got to meet certain criteria to be a predator. And if you just collect it, uh, you, you're not really. This is this is where we're headed here. This is where you're headed. And what's notable to me is how so many people, not just on the left, but the, the media itself, which is of the left, wants to do this. Uh, CNN. uh Attorney Sneed, who is a progressive writer at CNN, he is not some sort of objectivist here. He's a very partisan writer. GOP senators push misleading portrayal of Katanji Brown Jackson's record on child porn cases. Not really. Uh, Hawley has, has legitimately gone into the record and he's found these cases. And they're just trying to say, well, it's not legitimate because, you know, she she sentenced them to prison. She just she gave them less because she said they weren't actually predators. They just like to collect child porn. It's not like they looked at the child porn or did anything with it. They just collected it like stamps. I, I, I'm not making this up. This is This is why she gave them less sentences. This is why she reduced their sentences. She will have to answer questions about this. Now, there are a couple of things that I I want you to keep in mind here. One, she is inevitable. Unless uh, Joe Manchin changes his mind, she will be on the Supreme Court. There's no filibuster to block it. Uh, Republicans can ask all the tough questions they want. Uh, Dick Durbin is curtailing these. You know, they complained about Republicans doing it. Now the Democrats are doing exactly what they said the Republicans should not have done, giving a short uh, multi-day hearing to Katanji Brown-Jackson before sending her to the Senate for a vote. She will probably, within the next two weeks, be voted on and put on the Supreme Court. Breyer's term, he's not up till the end of this year, so she'll be standing by for him to step down. She is inevitable, barring some unforeseen circumstance. But at the same time, inevitability does not mean you pull your punches. Yes, she's certainly historic first black female on the Supreme Court. You know, a lot of people started started to claim she'd be the first black person on the Supreme Court, uh, ignoring both Clarence Thomas and Thurgood Marshall. They're like, hey, black female, black female. Yes, she would be the first black female. She will only be the first black female on the Supreme Court. Because uh, the Republican nominee years ago, oh, what was her name now? I can't remember. Uh, I can see her face and I can't remember her name now. Brown. um, Oh, what was her name? Um, In any event, uh, the Republicans had a nominee, Janice Rogers Brown. 
they wanted her on the D.C. Circuit Court. And Dick Durbin himself literally said they could not put a Republican-nominated black woman on the D.C. Circuit because it would put her on the shortlist for the Supreme Court. Dick Durbin said that. And so now the Democrats want to glom onto history and say this is the first. It's only the first because they blocked the last attempt before the filibuster went away. And she will be there. But that doesn't mean Republicans should pull their punches. It doesn't mean they should soft-pedal this. It doesn't mean they should avoid asking her the tough questions. They should ask her the very tough questions. Because once she gets on the Supreme Court, she will be there for life. Democrats refuse to even show up to Amy Coney Barrett's hearing. They put their pictures on their chairs and refuse to actually go to the hearing. With Brett Kavanaugh, they interrupted. They ruthlessly smeared him. They tried a character assassination. And now if Republicans even ask tough questions, the Democrats are complaining and screaming racism. Republicans should not be bullied on this. They have a job to do. She may go to the Supreme Court. She more likely than not will go to the Supreme Court. But they should ask those very tough questions, including Josh Hawley's tough questions, before she gets there. They don't need a grandstand. They don't need to do what Kamala Harris and Cory Booker did when they were running for president while going through the Kavanaugh hearing, uh, doing performance art from the hearing chambers. They don't need to do that. But they are entitled to and I think required to ask her the very tough questions that the Democrats don't want them to ask. The Democrats should not be allowed to control the questions and the Republicans should not pull their punches just because it's some sort of historic nomination. It's just another nomination of someone else. This happens all the time. Ask the tough questions. Hello there, it is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Let's go to Tom waiting patiently. Tom, welcome to the Eric Erickson Show. How are you? I'm fine, I guess. <laughs> Compared to a lot of people on the planet, I'm, I'm yeah. awesome, I guess. Anyway, um, I would like, because of your experience as an attorney and being involved in a lot of campaigns and so forth, I would. I, I'm really um, baffled by this continual rejection of cases, not based on the facts, uh, but based on standing. I mean, some of these things, you know, I'm not stupid. I went to postgraduate school, blah, blah, blah. It seems like the standing would be an obvious thing, but they keep getting swatted back. Uh, and so, and in fact, there's a, a, a candidate for attorney general here in the state of Georgia um, who had a case that was given um, a favorable ruling and then 10 months later it was thrown out because of lack of standing. So, uh, you know, I, I, I just am not, I don't see that happening on the cases presented by the left lack of standing, but it seems to be an endemic from the right. Actually, uh, you know, that, that entire abortion law in Texas, uh, the left ran into massive standing issues. Uh, everyone they sued it got all the way up to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court said you, you didn't have any standing uh, to be able to sue uh, through the case out. And, and the law thus far continues in Texas because of it. Now, what is standing? For those of you who don't know, and Tom, thanks for the question. Uh, standing means you, you've got to be a you've got to be wronged. In order to, to file a lawsuit, you must be involved in the in the matter at hand or or suffer a wrong. And a lot of times what happens is uh, people uh, jump into cases, file lawsuits, and then it turns out, wait a second, you don't have any standing to sue. You're not you're not involved. You're not really a victim. You're just you're there because you're aggrieved. You being aggrieved does not give you the right to sue. 
You have to actually in some way be involved. So let's take the case out of Texas. Uh, In Texas, Texas passes a pro-life law, says that private parties can intervene and sue abortion clinics for trying to um, perform abortions. So progressives sue the governor, the attorney general, uh, a judge, and several others. It goes to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court says, wait a second, you guys don't have standing here because you're, you're suing people, number one, who can't actually act. So they have no standing, which means you've sued the wrong person, and you have no standing because you're not one of the abortion clinics. You're just some activist. You, you can't sue because of that either, so they, they threw it out. Um, that, that happens more often than not standing is frankly, one of the areas where the courts go when they want to avoid a case as well. I mean, if we're honest with it, uh, so another big example are some of the, the Republicans who filed lawsuits about the elections, uh, they were voters and you would think, well, I've got a vested interest in this cause I'm a voter. Well, but the law is pretty precise in who can and cannot file lawsuits when it comes to elections. You average Joe Blow voter, you can't file a lawsuit uh, if you live in um, you live in East Feliciana Parish, Louisiana. You can't file a lawsuit in Fulton County, Georgia, over the way Fulton County, Georgia counted his votes. You got no standing. You don't live there. You didn't participate in the process. You've got no standing. And lower courts sometimes ignore the standing issue. And oftentimes, if lawyers don't make If lawyers don't plead it, if lawyers do not come into court and say there's a standing issue, a lot of times lower court judges will never even address the standing issue. But when you get to the United States Supreme Court, the Supreme Court always addresses the standing issue because the court believes that if people shouldn't be involved in in the process, they can't get to the court and, and get redress when they shouldn't have been involved in the process. We're going to see that uh, in a couple other cases coming up in the Supreme Court here shortly, including potentially the uh, Dobbs case in Mississippi. Um, But standing is not a way to deflect. One of the problems the right has had, and I don't want a bunch of angry phone calls on this one, I'm just telling you the truth. One of the reasons the right has had problems and gotten a lot of cases thrown out of court on standing issues lately is because you've had really crappy lawyers. I mean, frankly, I'm sorry, That's just the truth of the matter. You've had really bad lawyers on the Republican side uh, running cases into court. They had no business running them in, and they never bothered to assess the standing. Uh, It's not the court's fault that they threw them out. Um, It's the lawyer's fault that they filed the case to begin with. Same with the, the progressive lawyers over in Texas on the abortion case. That's just the reality. Now, when we come back, the Babylon Bee has been suspended from Twitter for saying that a man is a man. And the New York Times is in hot water for suggesting we might have a free speech problem in the United States. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. One more point, uh, answering a a couple of different people who emailed. Uh, There's no reason for Republicans to beclown themselves or the process with Katanji Brown-Jackson. They don't need to do the disruptive protests Democrats did, but they still need to ask the tough questions. Just because she's inevitable doesn't mean you give them a pass. They're not going to give you a pass. You don't have to, you're, you're, you're not them. You don't have to be disruptive in the way they were, but ask the tough questions. Ask the tough questions. Now, we got other matters, which I am increasingly fascinated with. When Laurel Hubbard 
the transgender weightlifter in New Zealand was headed off to the Olympics. I put out a tweet and I said, biologically, biologically, Laurel Hubbard is a man. It's a factual statement. And my Twitter account was disabled by Twitter for saying that basic biological truth. The Babylon Bee has now been suspended by Twitter for roughly the same thing regarding Rachel Levine, the Assistant Secretary of Health and Human Services, was a man who transitioned to become a woman and was named a Woman of the Year by USA Today. Babylon Bee, a parody site, uh, said that they were given Rachel Levine their Man of the Year award, and Twitter turned off their account. They actually, the Babylon Bee was pretty careful noting that Rachel Levine is a biological male. And they're being censored by Twitter. Now, you, all, all, all the little caveats there, Twitter's a private business. First Amendment doesn't apply to Twitter. The First Amendment only applies to the government. Twitter can do this. It's theirs. Whatever. It's ridiculous. You have a major platform for people to communicate with each other. And if you tell the truth, your account gets turned off. This is making it more and more likely, by the way, the government does step in and regulate. Now, while all of this is going on, uh, Hollywood has been celebrating that Pixar is going to have a same-sex kiss in the new Buzz Lightyear employee. Now, this comes after uh, gay employees denounced Disney for censoring gay content. Apparently, there's some, uh, my kid watched it, and, and he wanted me to see it, and then he said it wasn't very good. The new Disney movie, apparently, allegedly, rumor has it, this new Pixar movie about the little Asian girl who turns into the the panda or the tiger or whatever, um, that apparently it was to be more explicitly that um, she was aware of her same-sex attractiveness, and they pushed that out. Uh, At the same time, Disney employees are walking out because they're upset that Bob Chapek, the CEO of Disney, was not aggressively vocal against Florida's Parental Rights and Education Act that the left calls the Don't Say Gay Bill. They're going to continue walking out. Uh, Interestingly here, however, within Disney, a number of employees have come forward and essentially are arguing that um, Disney should remain politically neutral. They're tired of the wokes. This is the letter. Uh, Disney employees open letter in favor of politically neutral Disney. As employees of the Walt Disney Company, we believe in the dignity of all people. This is why we do what we do. We write stories, we make costumes, we act in parades, we run cruises, we stream movies, we make magic. We do this because our work contributes to a fountain of wonder that inspires joy, awe, and delight in guests and audiences of all ages. We are proud employees of the Walt Disney Company. We love our jobs because we get to share the wonder of life and human experience with millions of people worldwide. However, over the last few years, one group of cast members has become invisible within the company. The Walt Disney Company has come to be an increasingly uncomfortable place to work for those of us whose political and religious views are not explicitly progressive. We watch quietly as our beliefs come under attack from our own employer, and we frequently see those who share our opinions condemned as villains by our own leadership. 
The company's evolving response to the so-called don't say gay legislation in Florida has left many of us wondering what place we have in a company actively promoting a political agenda so far removed from our own. The Walt Disney Company leadership frequently communicates its commitment to creating an inclusive workplace where cast members feel comfortable sharing their perspectives and being their authentic selves at work. This is not our workplace experience. Over the last few weeks, we have watched as our leadership has expressed their condemnation for laws and policies we support. We've watched as our colleagues convinced that no one in the company could possibly disagree with them and grow increasingly aggressive in their demands. They insist that Disney take a strong stance on not only this issue, but other legislation and openly advocate for the punishment of employees who disagree with them. An internal poll within the company went out a few months ago, asking us if we felt accepted in the company. Many of us didn't complete it because the nature of the questions made us worry that the results of the poll could be used to target us for quietly holding a position that runs against the progressive orthodoxy that Disney seems to promote. Disney has fostered an environment of fear that any employee who does not toe the line will be exposed and dismissed. Much has been made of our internal efforts to reimagine tomorrow. But as much as diversity and inclusion are promoted, the tomorrow being reimagined doesn't seem to have much room for religious and political conservatives within the company. Left-leaning cast members are free to promote their agenda and organize on company time using company resources. They call their fellow employees bigots and pressure Disney to use corporate influence to further the left-wing goals. And it goes on and on and on. And, And what is noticeable here is a lot of these employees didn't feel like they could put their name on it. I, I know a couple of people involved. One of them sent me a copy of the letter. But they don't feel comfortable voicing their concerns. Now, all of this comes with a New York Times editorial from Friday, I believe it was. I didn't get a chance to get to it on Friday. But it has made heads explode in uh, liberal groups across the country. For all, This is the New York Times. This is the editorial board. For all the tolerance and enlightenment that modern society claims, Americans are losing hold of a fundamental right as citizens of a free country, the right to speak their minds and voice their opinions in public without fear of being shamed or shunned. This social silencing, this depluralizing of America, has been evident for years, but dealing with it stirs yet more fear. It feels like a third rail, dangerous. For a strong nation and open society, that is dangerous. The left reacted to this New York Times editorially furiously. There were calls from the Pointer Institute and others to disband the editorial board, that they were out of touch. Now, think about this. Think about this. The New York Times apologized for triggering its staff for running an op-ed by Tom Cotton, a sitting United States senator in 2020, who suggested National Guard troops be used to quell violence among rioters in this country. He, A sitting United States senator wrote an op-ed suggesting the National Guard be called in, and the New York Times employees lost their mind. Some of them said his editorial makes us fear for our lives. And the New York Times apologized. The New York Times in the last two years has driven off 
multiple employees, including Barry Weiss, who's not a conservative, but is certainly against the illiberalism of the New York Times staff. They've driven her off and others for having the audacity to disagree with the left. And now the very same paper's editorial board is coming out and saying, we got a problem in this country where people can't speak their mind without being punished for saying so. A little more here. How did it happen? In part, it's because the political left and the right are caught in a destructive loop of condemnation and recrimination around cancel culture. Many on the left refuse to acknowledge that cancel culture exists at all, believing that those who complain about it are offering cover for bigots to peddle hate speech. Many on the right, for all their brain about cancel culture, have embraced an even more extreme version of censoriousness as a bulwark against a rapidly changing society, with laws that would ban books, stifle teachers, and discourage open discussion in classrooms. Many Americans are understandably confused then about what they can say and where they can say it. People should be able to put forward viewpoints, ask questions, and make mistakes and take unpopular but good faith positions on issues that society is still working through, all without fearing cancellation. Notice, though, the phrase unpopular but good faith positions on issues society is still working through. The reason the New York Times ran this editorial is not because the New York Times is upset about cancel culture. The New York Times has been a willing participant in cancel culture. The New York Times is upset because now cancel culture has been turned on the left with uh, critical race theory bans, the parental uh, rights in Florida law, and, and the like. They're upset now because it's starting to hurt the left because the right is fighting fire with fire. It's the only reason the New York Times is worried about free speech. Better late than never, I suppose. There is a difference they try to nuance, and they don't do a very good job nuancing this. But there is a difference between the freedom of speech of the First Amendment and the freedom of speech in society in general. The freedom of speech of the First Amendment only applies to the government. But speech in general, it's something that we in this country have for the longest time uh, we've had people say things like, I, I disagree with you, but I'll defend your right to say it. There aren't a lot of people doing that anymore. And it has a lot to do with the left in this country. As much as the New York Times wants to try to package it as, as the right has this problem, yes, there are people on the right who have this problem. There are people on the right who, if you don't agree with, with, with what they say, they, they want to punish you, they want to silence you. Look, I, I've experienced this with people who've disagreed with things I've said on radio and, and suddenly they're out to get me and my family from the right because they disagree with something I said. It happens on the right. Cancel culture on the right, it happens. But it is far worse on the left. And I don't just say this as a partisan of the right. It is on the left far worse because you have major American corporations like Disney that are forced by a vocal minority of employees to take sides, and then they use that side setting to punish other employees. Look at Delta Airlines, which hoisted a Black Lives Matter flag in 2020 and encouraged employees to put Black Lives Matter pins on, and employees who didn't felt like they were suspect at the company. Other employees wanted to take other causes, and, and Delta wouldn't let them made them feel suspect. Or look at Disney. The employees who don't want to participate in, in the protests 
look around the country. Look, look at look at all of the companies that came out against the election law in Georgia. Major League Baseball moving its game because left-wing activists have sympathetic ears within corporate America and they leverage that to punish other people. The reality is cancel culture is real and it's good that the New York Times is finally paying attention to this. What is super telling is that uh, the left's reaction to the New York Times is to excoriate the New York Times for daring to think cancel culture is real. Uh, A lot of people on the left, they don't want to admit that cancel culture is real because they deploy it all the time. And and they want to say, well, I mean, the only people who are getting canceled are the people who deserve it because they have such terrible views on race and sexuality. So you're admitting people are canceled. It's just the ones you don't like. The problem here now is that in society, if you actually encounter people, even progressives, who aren't down with the progressive agenda across the board, they don't feel free to speak up. I So I know a guy. I mean, I know lots of people, but this in particular. I know a guy. He is, I, I won't say who he is. He is a progressive. He is very much a progressive. Hates Republicans. Couldn't stand Donald Trump. Very well known in his field. And he is deeply troubled by the Leah Thomas story. Deeply, deeply troubled that a guy can participate in in swimming athletics for 20 years as a boy, unsuccessfully, spend a year taking uh, hormone blockers, and then become a girl, keep his genitals, pretend to be a girl, and suddenly start winning. And his theory is that uh, people on the left who are okay with this are not sports inclined. They don't watch sports. They don't pay attention to sports. They're okay ruining sports. They don't think it really matters because they don't know but he can't speak up publicly. He can't write about this. He can't talk about this because so many people on his side would cancel him for saying what he and all of his friends are whispering. And think about that. It's what he and his friends all say, but they can't say it out loud because they know that the people on their own political side will come for them. And they're saying, by the way, what most Americans think. You know, uh, Leah Thomas, by the way, won that race, beat the Olympian, and then floundered in in the next two races. And there are a whole lot of people thinking maybe he flubbed the races because it was causing so much backlash that he did so well that first one. He had to to lose the second two to get the heat off. I, I think it's a plausible scenario. But the fact that you can't even point it out, the Babylon Bee pointed out that a biological male is a man and got their account turned off on Twitter. Twitter is one of the chief culprits in helping advance cancel culture, and they only do it on the right. You can say whatever you want on the left, and rarely will you get your account turned off. But on the right, my gosh, you just point out biological man is a biological man, and it's game over for you on Twitter. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. If you want to be on the program, uh, bear with me, those of you on the phones, because this is kind of a short segment. Uh, down in Florida, a, a Southern progressive group called Southern Progress is putting up billboards all over Florida that just say gay. G-A-Y, that's it. That's all the billboard says, uh, which is a waste of money, I guess, uh, in, in reaction to, to the Parental uh, Education Bill of Rights that Florida is passing, which they say is a don't say gay law, which does no such thing, but they have internalized this. Uh, 
And I got to tell you, uh, I find it fantastic. I think this is the greatest thing. Uh, if anything, we should be encouraging it. I hope more and more progressives buy billboards in Florida that just say the word gay because they're doing it all over the state. It's a left-wing group uh, pushing this, buying these billboards all over the state of Florida. Just put them up, say gay everywhere. I think it would be fantastic. Florida man will get excited seeing all these things. And you know what? Every dollar spent on one of these billboards is one less dollar helping get people elected. Putting up billboards that say gay will do nothing to advance the Democrats, but it will blow all of their money so that they feel good virtue signaling with billboards. Without getting, and no one's even going to know what they mean. That's all the billboards say is gay. That's it. Half the people in Florida are going to be driving through all the tourists coming in from Europe. They're like, what? What? Huh? <laughs> people have no idea. And the dyslexia will be like, what? what is a yag? I have no idea. I just, I mean, that this it makes them feel good. And then they don't have any money to actually get candidates elected. They'll wonder what happens. It's like all that money they poured into, what's his name, uh, Jamie Harrison, who ran against Lindsey Graham, or the Beto O'Rourke money. They poured money into Beto, and he lost. And all that money could have gone to more viable candidates, but they chose virtue signaling instead of actually competence, and they handed Republicans bigger wins than they were expecting because of it. These, how do you play? These people have no idea, it seems like, how you do politics. It's the most bizarre thing. But that's fine. Uh, more money, please. More billboards, please. Less candidates getting elected, please. It's 2022. Things are still crazy. Things haven't settled down. And now you got the Federal Reserve and interest rates. You got the economy. You got inflation. A lot of banks won't even return your phone call. Let's say you're a small business and you need a loan for $750,000 or higher. You see an opportunity where banks, they don't even want to see you. You want to buy a building? You want to build a building? Reach out to the Frost family at First Liberty Building and Loan. They've been helping small businesses become big businesses since the 1990s. They want to help you if they can. So spend 10 minutes with them. See if you're a good fit for them and they're a good fit for you. Their website is firstlibertyga.com. That's firstlibertyga.com. Again, you need a loan, $750,000 or higher. You're a small business and you see an opportunity to grow. Share it with the Frost family and see if they can help you. Firstlibertyga.com. That's firstlibertyga.com. First Liberty Building and Loan can help businesses nationwide become bigger businesses.